The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So, uh, how many of you were here last night at the talk? How many of you could be here for the talk? Okay, so most of you, but uh, I'll, I'll just recap just a little bit and then expand a little bit. You listen to it at home. Oh, great. Okay. <laughs> so um, I, I talked about a receptive awareness practice, which is a, it's a form of meditation where we, um, instead of directing our attention to some particular object, like the breath, um, if it, it's better. Instead of directing the attention to something like the breath, we, um, we allow the uh, attention to receive whatever is most obvious and just kind of see if we can stay connected to receiving the next most obvious thing, the next most obvious thing, the next most obvious thing, and to not, um, to not choose what we're paying attention to. But essentially, it's, it's essentially what we're doing is allowing our minds to kind of do what they're doing and trying to stay present for that. I sometimes call it following the attention. We're, we're following along with what, whatever the attention kind of naturally wants to pick up on. And after that, uh, one of you came up to me and asked a question, and I wanted to um, offer a, a follow-on uh, as a result of that question because I think it's important. And the question was, you know, so this in this style of practice, and oh, I'll say one other thing first, though. Uh, partly the reason I offer this in this week is because the the receptive style of practice as opposed to picking something that we're paying attention to. When we pick something to pay attention to, we, we stay with it, we try to remember it. That kind of practice in daily life, when you're in the midst of your activities, is going to be really difficult. And so a different kind of practice where you kind of settle back and just let things in, receive what's already happening, there's more, there's more ability for us to, to stay connected with that kind of awareness in whatever we're doing, whether it's walking in the grocery store or... Uh, or driving or talking to somebody, there's, there's a little more capacity we have to simply uh, know, oh, this is what's happening right now. And, and we can kind of follow along in that with, uh, with our awareness. Um, oh, Rosemary, <laughs> come on in, Okay. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> so in, in, in the receptive style of practice, we, um, we can have a more, more capacity to just be with whatever is happening. But the question came, so in sitting meditation in particular, if we are just like letting things happen, letting things roll, it's like whatever comes up, we just allow the mind to do whatever it does. What do we do if the mind goes to negative negativity or dark thoughts or or um, reactivity? Um, do we just let that happen? And the answer is maybe and maybe not. So 
it is possible to be aware of some of these difficult states that happen. We, we might be able to see something like frustration or anger arising and, and know, okay, this is, this is the experience of anger. Wow, this feels this way in the body. We may be, we may be able to do that. But if what we find when we are exploring this more receptive capacity uh, of, of mindfulness, if we find that when something challenging comes up, negativity or reactivity arises, if we get pulled into it and we tend to lose awareness, it's not a good time to do that kind of practice. And essentially, it would be a good time to choose something else to pay attention to. So there's a place to blend the directed practice with the receptive. And generally what I suggest is if you can be present with whatever it is that's happening and keep exploring the receptive awareness. But if you find your mind is getting stuck to something and it's not able to, um, to be present, then it can be useful to turn your attention to something else, to pick something else to pay attention to. And so this is, this is learning the skill of when the receptive awareness practice can be supportive for us. Um, Yeah, let's cut it there. Sure. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So let's see if I can... uh, kind of enter into that story a little bit. Um, yeah, there were a number of... So the, this, the, the question is about the story I mentioned last night around uh, depression and watching the depression. Um, I was speaking last night about kind of trusting that the mindfulness and wisdom will have a transformation, that, that they'll transform our... Uh, reactive emotions and and that you know rather than trying to figure out why I was depressed or why rather than trying to figure out our reactivity through our intellectual you know memories and thinking about what we what we what, what happened to us as children to trust the being with the experience being with the experience itself and so in my case being with the depression um, and and see what unfolds um, and and that the the perspective of mindfulness uh, with um, this curiosity about the human experience, that's often the way I have been describing it lately. Just, you know, what is the human experience of depression? What is the human experience of reactivity? That that has a a way that it kind of taps into uh, some deeper um, uh, possibility for understanding to arise. And so the, the understanding comes through the the being with. And so the question, I think, was say more about what it means to be with something like depression. (laughs) Um, So, um, yeah, in this case, there were a number of different things that, that I explored around the depression. First of all, I'll say it was a it was a, it was a kind of a, a low-grade depression. It wasn't a really strong depression. Um, but it was pretty pervasive. It was there a lot. And so that's the first thing I started looking at, is just kind of being curious about when it was there and when it was not there. 
That's, that's actually happens to be very powerful to notice, especially for a pervasive pattern um, when it's not there. Because often with a pervasive pattern, we, uh, we have an identification with it. I am depressed or I am this way. This is, this is me all the time. I am just like this. And the, uh, the recognizing when it's not there helps us to, helps the recognition that if, well, if it's not here, maybe it's not me. It begins to poke holes in that identity a little bit. So that was one piece. I just began to be curious about it's being here or it's not here. And there's, there was a period of time when I approached it from that simple level. It's just like present or not. Is this depression here or is it not here? And then in exploring it a little further, again, a pretty simple approach. That these, and these first few ones I'm going to offer you will work in daily life. Uh, I was on retreat at the time, but um, some of these I use in daily life. So the next one that seemed to be useful is when it was present, was noticing whether I was caught by the pattern like reactive to the pattern or not caught. So it's, it's, that's noticing the relationship to the depression, essentially. So depression's here. What's my relationship to it? Think it's a problem, wanting it to not be here, want it to go away. That's being caught by the, by the depression. And uh, not caught was just like, oh, this is the experience of depression. Okay, this is what it's like to have depression. And, and I wasn't, because I was doing this very receptive style of practice, I wasn't doing anything like, okay, where is it in the body? Or I was just trying to take in the gestalt of it. It's like, this is the experience. What's obvious? That's very much what I encourage in the daily life. It's like, what's obvious about this state? And so in noticing that there's depression and that I'm caught by it. And, and I just would explore it in that way. It's either caught or not caught. I didn't even really go further than that in terms of, well, what are the, the intricacies of the attitude? It was just like, yeah, caught by this or not caught. And so this kind of very simple approach, um, it just like just three things around the depression. Is it present or absent? When it's present, it, am I caught or not caught by it? Well, the, 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 you can you can know. So the question is, how would you know you were caught when you were caught? And, and so there's there's the knowing that you're caught when you can be aware of an attitude. So there's this depression and feels like a problem. That's being caught by it. So caught does not necessarily mean not aware. It means there's a kind of belief or view about the depression that means it's problematic or that it's difficult in some way. So it's not just the depression being there. And so this is an important recognition that with mindfulness, we can recognize when our mind is out of balance around things. And so that's what I'm pointing to there is knowing that we're out of balance. Now, if I wasn't mindful, I wouldn't know whatever, I mean. But when mindful and the depression is there, there can be a recognition of whether the mind is okay with that depression or thinks it's a problem. And it's that simple. And so first of all, I'm just going to just say we are recording right now. So, so if you don't mind your voice kind of coming through this, we'll leave it um, to go. Um, but if you'd like to speak, um, do this kind of thing so we can time it out. <laughs> I'm okay. Okay, good. What you're describing, I'm wondering if 
discern the difference between having aversion towards it versus the balance and then I'm exploring it, I can be with it. Yes. Some kind of reactivity to it, yes. So, uh, yes, I'm talking about having essentially the relationship of aversion or some kind of reactivity. In my case, it generally was aversion. Uh, sometimes it could be craving. I mean, it, it, it could have been craving for something else. You know, it could have been a... Uh, you know, you know, gee, I wish something else were happening. So it, it could be craving, but generally for me it was aversion. So I didn't try to distinguish all the flavors of it. I just, just noticed, oh, caught. Okay, so caught is happening. Um, then in, in the, a little bit further in, I began to recognize um, that there were times when it was happening that trying to be mindful of it, the caught seemed to be really sticky. So when, the, when being caught was pretty sticky, instead of trying to be with the depression directly, um, I, I, I used this kind of approach of, because sometimes I, it was like the, with something reactive, when we're reactive, sometimes the mind can kind of narrow down to that thing. It's like magnetized by it. You know, when we, we have some kind of particular reactivity, it's like, this is where the mind goes and we don't have much choice. And that itself is a kind of attitude. It's a being caught by it. It's, it's kind of, it's almost agreed to do something with it. You know, we get stuck to it. Um, and so if there was that kind of magnetic pull and the, the stickiness was, was not abating, then I would... Um, sometimes use this very conscious tool. And again, this is, this is not simply receiving. So this kind of points to what I said earlier in a way. If we find that, that the mind gets drawn to something and it gets stuck there when we're doing open awareness practice, it may not be the time to, to be with that thing so clearly or so specifically. And so there's a couple different ways. One I mentioned before of just kind of turning the turning the. the the attention to something else. But another one is to broaden the attention. Consciously recognize, yep, that depression's happening. And there's seeing happening. And there's hearing happening. And there's body sensations happening. To, um, to really kind of normalize or to, uh, to, to help the mind from not getting, to say, staying so stuck. So, you might see it keeps coming back. Yep, there's the depression, and there's seeing, and there's hearing. I did that a lot, actually, in, in, this, um, in this time. And then there were times where I just set it aside and attended to something else because it was too strong. So there's a range of tools um, to use with it. When the mind was balanced, when, so this is, this is another piece that... It's really important to recognize with a particular reactivity, is the mind balanced or not? If the mind is not balanced with it, that is probably not the time to investigate it or try to look more closely at it. It might be the time to investigate the reaction to it, but not the thing itself. So when the mind was really balanced around the the depression and I could just be with it, I would just, just be curious about it, notice it, Sometimes there were body sensations. Sometimes there was a feeling of, of expansion or contraction of that experience. And it was in one of those times where 
um, oh, and and during during that time also, I was I was noticing that when the mind was really balanced around the depression, there were times that I could see or recognize, uh, like when it came into being, like when did it start, and that was interesting, you know. So noticing the presence and absence of something, we can sometimes in knowing, oh, it's not here, kind of see what are the conditions that come together and it it happens and I got to see that a couple times there were there were there was one condition that I mentioned last night of uh, in this particular retreat center in this monastery in Burma we were um, it was not a completely silent retreat center there were times when we could have conversations with our fellow retreatants and there was a particular time of day it's kind of the promenade. It was just after sunset. It was cooler. And people kind of paired up and took walks together. And I would come out uh, from my meditation and there would be people doing these walks together. And sometimes that would trigger the depression. And it's like, wow, that's interesting. This is just seeing people walking together. But, but as I said, that kind of planted in my mind of, oh, maybe this is about like when I was a kid and felt left out on the playground. Fortunately, I just set that aside. Um, but, but, you know, that some of the, the things that we see might kind of hook up with memories of how we were in the past. So I just set that aside. It's like, well, maybe, okay, you know, that's a thought. But I'm just going to keep being with the experience, just keep noticing. Another thing I noticed that was interesting was that the, the depression could happen I would be very calm and noticing the absence of depression. But then it's like the calm would turn into depression. It would just... And that was curious. I, I, I didn't quite understand that one. But again, just, just curious, just watching what was going on. And then one day... Um, I, I found that there was a, a very strong ability to just be with the depression. And uh, as I was walking back to the sitting, I was doing walking meditation and feeling kind of this very dynamic experience around the depression. It was there, but it wasn't like stable. It was a lot of changing experience. And so the mind could to just be with this. And then I went back to my to my room and sat and um, just there was a, a, a time where it's just like, okay, well, this is what's here. And there was this movement. And it was, I think it was wisdom because I didn't, it wasn't like me saying, oh, do this. But there was just this movement to let that feeling, whatever it was, the feeling of depression, the feelings that were going on. And at that point, it was kind of weird experience. It, was, it, it, it started with depression, but it was just kind of shifting and changing and expanding and getting bigger, the feelings. that I felt like it was like a big balloon that was growing. And so I just let myself stay with it and just like, okay, you can get as big as you want to. Yeah, just grow, get, you know, just, and, and the mind could just be with that. And this, I, you know, what was I doing there? I was, again, just simply noticing what was obvious. It, I was receiving the experience. It wasn't a choosing or directing of the attention. It's just like, this is the experience and it feels like it wants to get big. So I'm not going to get in the way of that. And as as the as it really grew in that way, that's when that flipping inside out happened, that, that, it, uh, that as it got to be very expansive, the heart kind of felt the, ex- the experience shift from depression to love. 
just that expansive feeling of love. And that was a shock. That was something that was like, that is what is connected with this. And it was lovely. It was a lovely feeling. But as I said, immediately following was this thought, this is stupid. This is sappy. This is corny. So I was sitting in this expansive feeling of love and the mind was like, yeah, right. <laughs> and so I could see that the, the depression was kind of related to that mind that was not really able to like, connect to that expansive quality of love. And I saw in that moment, yeah, got work to do. <laughs> you know, still have work to do. But it was so interesting to see that, you know, something I did not expect at all was connected to the depression. This capacity to love and this kind of belief or view somehow that it's like, oh, this is Hallmark greeting card or people that are like this or are not very discerning or whatever. All of these different thoughts that I had about that state. Somebody who's like this is not going to be very smart, you know? <laughs> so that, you know, those, those views and beliefs were operating and, you know, I, I kind of understood in a way that the, the heart was expanding and... and um, growing in its capacity for love, and there were these views that were kind of holding it down, and that really is a is a way that depression works. It's like holding down something. It's not connecting with something. It's not not meeting something. Um, and so this this along with several other things that I experienced in my time, this is one of the things that I um, gained some confidence in my in, in my. Um, understanding about how suffering is created, that often in our suffering, and I'm almost ready to say in our suffering, in all suffering, there is this thread of wanting to be happy, to be safe, to be well. A piece of our suffering is connected with that. And it comes up against uh, impermanent, unreliable, uncontrollable. And it gets tangled up, and that's when suffering happens. So the the um this is something that i like to encourage people around looking at suffering because sometimes i mean based on this this kind of um teaching i've been giving lately and some of you may have heard it some of you not and i don't want to take the time to do it in this moment i just i just spoke about it recently and you can find it on the internet if you're interested i think i call it something like core truths and core wishes something like that um that that my sense is that when we are suffering, it's like it's a tangle between these two. It's the mind getting knotted up between this truth of, uh, I mean, the, 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 the desire, the wish, the wholesome movement towards love and the, uh, the impermanent, unreliable, out-of-control nature of experience. And so when we're suffering, this, that the knot there is composed of those threads. And so if we can be curious about it, and this is what I discovered with, you know, letting that d- depression be there. Letting that depression be there. It's like, it's like these threads began to untangle and I could see that the love was a piece of this. So whenever we're suffering, there's, it, I think it's both a pointer to that inner capacity of of um, love that we all have as human beings and a pointer to these truths. 
So it's, uh, it can be very surprising what we find in there. And, and, you know, I think something that your question points to in a way is what I certainly believed, you know, with the reactivity around anger or this depression. It's kind of like, yeah, this thing is, this thing is, uh, this is a problem. And it needs to go away. So given that it's a tangle, I mean, the best thing to do is to take the scissors and like cut it out, you know, get the scalpel out and excise this knot because it is bad. It is like, it should not be there. But that, well, in some ways, you know, that is not going to happen because the, the, the tangle is composed of love and truth. <laughs> and so it's not like going to like let itself be cut out. So when we are trying to repress it or trying to get rid of it out of aversion, those, the, the, the love and the truth are, are basically, they're going to say, no, this is, this is love and truth here. <laughs> and so this is some of why our reactivity is sticky too, because it does have these threads back to uh, wanting to be well, happy, safe, at ease. You know, it, it's it's it, it's a it's a part of our of our of our being, and so there it, there will be resistance if we are wanting to get rid of or push away or excise or cut out our suffering. That that love and wisdom is is going to resist that. So, to me, this is a pointer to respecting what's here. You know, respect the suffering. Be curious about it. Understand it. Let it reveal the love and the wisdom that it's tangled up around. Oh, so those are, yeah. And mm, let's, let's record this part. Yeah, I, I did use the word wanting to be loved. Um, you know, there is, love has a, a movement of, of action, of desire, and um, you know, we often in Buddhist circles use the word wanting to mean something unwholesome. But there is a wholesome form of desire that is connected with love, with compassion, with joy, with wisdom. And so that's how I was using it there, is that it's just the, the natural urge for that connectedness in our life. We could use wanting there, but it's, it's, I'm using it, I'm not using it in the sense of craving of tanha. It's, it's the, it's the chanda, yeah, the, 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 the wish for, the aspiration for that connectedness. Yeah.